Loving Father, we thank you that we can gather this Easter morning uh, to fellowship with each other and most of all with you. We thank you, we praise you for speaking to us through your word. We pray that your spirit now would show us again and again the glory and wonder of your son Jesus and that you would move us to uh, greater repentance and deeper faith. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, good morning again, everybody. My name's Adam Draycott, and a warm welcome uh, to our Easter service this morning. Uh, no doubt you've been following the news this week, and as we follow the news, we're reminded that basic matters of truth are enormously important to us, aren't they? We care deeply about the truth. And so such events like that which took place this week, and yes, he's talking about the cricket. They remind us that whenever there's a scandal, the public want open and honest explanation. And that's true of cricket, it's true of politics, uh, whatever the case, especially when we think we're being deceived and lied to. Uh, one of our fears uh, in our world is that the facts are hard to get at, which is extraordinary in an information age. Uh, fake news is, it's always been a thing, hasn't it? But now it's a really, really big thing. What's fake, what isn't? And then the media seems to feed on that. And it seems there's just so much junk out there, especially on the internet, and deciphering it all can be complex. A similar thing happens, doesn't it, in our own town, when sudden tragedy strikes. Social media fires up. Everyone's tongues start flapping. Even the national news has difficulty communicating what's true. And we try and decipher what is and what isn't. And it can be bewildering. So how do you know what is true and what is false? What's the reality? And if that's a problem for you, uh, well, how much more is at stake in Matthew 28? What is at stake here? It's not the cricket. It's not politics. It's not town gossip. This is not even a matter of life and death. This is a matter of life after death. This is a matter of immortality. This is supremely important. And well, we might ask, does believing this story hold any credibility? Is this fake news? Can we honestly believe this? Let's be honest, no one actually sees Jesus rise. No one's actually there, it seems, the moment Jesus' heart starts beating again. That moment is never described for us. But we do have witnesses that tell us some seriously weird stuff that takes place that first morning. Do we find two conflicting accounts here in Matthew's Gospel? Yes, we do. Are they reported by Matthew? Yeah, he's honest about it. And Matthew, therefore, invites us to consider who's telling the truth. Who has credibility and who's all about fake news. In our assessment, we need to get the facts. So we turn to Matthew 27. I hope you have your Bible open. You can see in Matthew 27, verse 57, we pick up the story. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. 
Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. You see, what are the facts? Everything is pretty normal here, really. Jesus is dead. He's been given a burial. The stone is rolled in front of the entrance, as you would, and Mary and Mary are there. There's nothing surprising here, really. Nothing surprising the next day either. Look at verse 62. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. So they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Well, take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. And so they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Nothing surprising. Here we see the Pharisees. Well, they're still plotting, aren't they? They're still scheming. They want the tomb secured with a seal and it's done. They want guards and it's done. They'll do everything in their earthly power to make sure this Jesus movement is done and dusted, it seems. So again, nothing surprising. None of these facts are in dispute. Everything is normal. But we know it won't be normal for long, as our witnesses are about to find out. Verse 1. Who are our first witnesses? After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, that would be the mother of James, went to look at the tomb. The two Marys are there. There are soldiers as well that are there, stationed to guard this particular tomb. They're all present. And notice this morning, they'll be united on this one point. This one point they'll all agree on. And it's this. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. That's not in dispute here. No argument. But how they explain the tomb's emptiness will be different. But the fact remains, what did I just say? The tomb is... You could give a person a nudge next to you, say, Happy Easter, the tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. I mentioned earlier our fear of not having all the facts. Imagine being one of the soldiers and having to explain this to your superiors. Uh, what's the this bit? Well, the bit, this bit, it reads like something out of an Avengers movie. Here comes a physically robust creature from the sky. Uh, this heavenly power collides with earthly power. And then he sits on the stone like it's his prize. Have a look at verse 2. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone... And he sat on it, as you do. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. 
And the guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Like, this would be funny if it wasn't so terrifying. Uh, this guy is overwhelming. None. None of this now is normal. There is every reason to be terrified. And of course, how do the soldiers respond? These tough, battle-hardened Roman soldiers, the men who guard the supposedly dead man, well, they become like dead men themselves, don't they? Powerless. Later in verse 11, it tells us they go into the city and report to the chief priests everything that had happened. And you would think, well, that would make sense. The death penalty looms for the soldiers now. And I guess if anything supernatural like an angel falling from the sky happened, well, you would go to the chief priests and the teachers. They should know something about this stuff, surely. And what do the chief priests do with this? Do they say God's appeared? No. Well, remember early in verse 64, they were concerned with... They were concerned with what? They were concerned with deception and lies, weren't they? But have a look at verse 12. It's very interesting. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised the plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say... His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and we'll keep you out of trouble. How nice of them. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Who is the deceiver? Who's the deceiver? This version, this fake news is circulated, it goes around even today. It seems the power of the checkbook has greater power than their integrity. I should go into politics. Whoops. Earthly power is about stones being sealed up. Earthly power is about manpower and brute force and using money to buy your influence. Earthly power is so limited, but earthly power has no chance when God intervenes. You saw the earthquake in verse 2, didn't you? The angel, the Lord, turned up, rolled back the stone, he sits on it, and guards are gripped with fear. Verse 5, little wonder the angels tell, angel tells the two Marys not to be afraid. Verse 5, don't be afraid, he said. The stone is rolled away to let the women in. He says, I know you're looking for Jesus, the one who was crucified. Okay, so not just any Jesus. And why is this tomb empty? The angel tells us he's not here. He has risen just as he said. So what is next? The angel gives them a commission. Verse 6, come and see the place where he lay. Verse 7, then go quickly. Tell his disciples he's risen from the dead and that he's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is amazing. The last time they saw Jesus was dead on a cross and then later buried. And now by an act of God, they are told he's not here, he's risen. 
And so the question remains for us, who are we to believe? We are on about credibility, but these facts seem incredible. See, do we believe a bunch of Jewish ladies? Or do we believe a small band of imperial troops? It's clear the soldiers, despite being shook with fear, they continue to put their trust in physical earthly powers, don't they? Or should we trust the women who certainly experience the blessing of God's power and favour and who will join others and willingly risk their lives? I mean, seriously, who would steal a corpse just so you could be hunted down and killed by the Roman Empire? Who would do that? And then invent a story about resurrection and have the women as your star witnesses. No one would do that. Sorry, ladies, back in the day, women had no credibility, in, especially in the witness box. And then you keep the ruse going for 40 years. I don't know how long you can keep a ruse going, but 40 years is really extraordinary, isn't it? Unless, of course, this is all true. Ah, oh, unless it's true. So I ask you again, who will you trust? The angel instructed the woman to bear witness, Jesus has been raised. The priest instructed the soldiers to bear witness, the body is stolen. And according to Matthew, who has more credibility? Who will you trust? Which explanation will you give for the fact of the empty tomb? And this is an important question. Why does this matter? This matters, remember, because immortality is at stake. But there is more to the witness of our women. It's not just the power of God revealed in the angel that provides an earthquake and moves stones and causes soldiers to collapse. Isn't it also that they meet Jesus himself in verse 9? Jesus has been raised just as he said he would. That's what the angel said. And you might be going, well, when did he say that? Oh, he said it in chapter 16, verse 21. Or chapter 17, verse 9. Or chapter 17, verse 22. Or chapter 20, verse 19. Or chapter 26, verse 32. The tomb is empty just as Jesus said it would be. Repeatedly. And so there are no cover-ups here. There's no fake news. Which means that you can take Jesus at his word. In fact, they all knew Jesus had been saying this all along. Do you remember verse 63 of chapter 27? Sir, they said, we remember while he was still alive, that deceiver said after three days, I'll rise again. Go figure. So who's the deceiver? <laughs> it's not Jesus. He has just done exactly what he said he would do. And now he stands before the women. Look at verse 8. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy. How does that work? Nerve sighted, my, my daughter would describe starting high school. I was nervous but excited, so her word is nerve, nerve sighted. I take that to be afraid yet filled with joy. Starting high school, maybe not. But anyway, uh, and that, uh, what, did she, what did they do? They ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. 
They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said, Don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. See, death is a thing, isn't it? If that doorway has a sign above it that says death, so many of our loved ones go through that doorway never to return, and it's sad and it grieves us. We know that acutely death casts a shadow. But here is the one standing before Mary and Mary who has gone through that very same doorway to death, like so many we know, but the difference here is that Jesus has come back. He's back. And he stands before them. Mary and Mary in Jesus see their future. They see that Jesus embodies their future. He embodies their, their immortality. That death no longer has a claim. Death no longer has power. Death has been kicked in the bum once and for all. And now the imperfect can live with the perfect. Now those tainted by the effects of sin and death, people like you and me, now we can look forward to the day of being without sin and being whole and being resurrected for immortality. Here is our future. Here is our potential reality here in Jesus is our future. All that suffering and grief, all that torture and pain they experienced, it reaches a climax here at this point where they see Jesus is alive. And so they come to him, claps his feet and worship him. And so the question is repeated again and again on the important question of life and death is this, who are you going to believe? Who will you believe? I mean, you could take the path of atheism, okay, where apparently there's nothing, there is no hope for eternal future, and I guess if your worldview is limited to the physical, earthly powers, then that's all there is. We'll invest in cloning, we'll spend money maybe on cryogenics, maybe get ourselves frozen, with the help of somehow overcoming the problem of death, and sadly, when we die, well, we'll become a big bag of biological waste matter, if that's all there is. Or maybe we do the other thing in our pursuit of immortality. It, we'll, we'll, we'll brand football stars as immortal somehow, despite the fact they get injured or retire or eventually die like the rest of us. Or we'll do the same with fallen soldiers or Hollywood icons. And I wonder whether we have a cheap view of immortality. Don't we need a higher view? Or maybe there is a God, an eternal, immortal God. And maybe this morning he's squeezing our hearts and maybe he's whispering to us this morning saying, you know, the empty tomb means... There's more. This ain't all there is. And so our longing for more, our longing for immortality is answered in the person of the resurrected Jesus. 
His resurrected physical human body can be our eternal future. That's the promise. And if that is true, we need not fear. The angel says it. Jesus says it. Do not fear. And why don't we fear? Because Jesus himself is alive. Look at verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, Get a load of this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. See, do not fear, because Jesus is the one with authority. When we go looking for the real thing, Jesus says, I'm the real thing. Here is God himself. Jesus is God. He's the one with all authority in heaven and authority on earth. His rule extends to all and sundry, which includes you and includes me. That's what all authority means. And see the scope in his words. This isn't just for one nation, this is for all nations. That ancient blessing to Abraham, if you know it, that the world would be blessed, here it is. God's plan for history has succeeded in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and it will succeed. This is for everybody. And so we worship Jesus. We love him. We speak of him. We honour him with right living. That's our response. We disciple people. We teach and train people in obedience to Christ. What it means to follow Jesus. And we bless others through this wonderful proclamation without fear. We proclaim that Jesus has eternal life to share. Here is the reality. That there is more. Because today Jesus is alive. And that truth should change everything. The tomb is every. The tomb is empty. Everyone believed that. That was not in dispute. But he's risen? Well, not everyone wants to come at that. And our answer will require humility. For if Jesus didn't rise, then we are all still dead in our sins with no apparent future and no apparent purpose. And this is all a big joke if Jesus didn't rise. But if Jesus is risen that it means he has the power and all authority belongs to him and it means our eternal future is dependent on him because he holds the power and we are accountable to him. So I'll ask you again, do you want immortality? If you want immortality, this wonderful promise of eternal life, then you need to do business with Jesus for he has the power to grant it. Come to him, find peace, find love, find forgiveness and find a future that only he can give, which is truly eternal. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we bow before you.
We come to you as the one of whom alone has conquered death and brought forgiveness and hope and brought a dawn in a dark world. We praise and thank you. We long to live for you. Uh, Please help us as the two Marys and the eleven would go on to do to be bare faithful witness to why your tomb was empty. Help us to do likewise. Help us to live lives that proclaim the empty tomb, that proclaim that Christ is risen. Give us faithfulness to that. May that shape every part of who we are. And we pray it for your glory and your glory alone. Amen.